everyone, this is Chad Arms, pastor of Creekside Bible Church. Thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon, a sermon about joy. It will play in just a minute, but before it does, I want to invite you to do one thing and ask you to do another. I want to invite you to download a free resource that we are giving away with this series. For this series of sermons on joy, we produced a companion devotional booklet. It's over 50 pages long. It has devotional entries for each day that I'm not preaching. I really do think it is something that would be valuable to your spiritual life. And you can get it for absolutely free. All you have to do is go to wilsonville.church joy. That's wilsonville.church joy. And click on the download booklet button. I also want to ask you to leave a rating or review if you find this sermon particularly helpful to you. When you leave a rating or review on your podcast host, it helps our sermons be heard by more people, and we think that that is super important. And So please do that if you feel led to do so. Again, thanks for taking some time to listen to my latest sermon. I really do hope that it will help you to learn and live more fully for the glory of God. So I grew up going to church, and I went to a conservative Christian college, and I went to a Baptist seminary, and I can tell you this with all honesty, that all of those things contributed to my joy, and my relationship with Jesus has been, frankly, the uh, <laughs> times in life, the sole reason for my joy, but Growing up in those kind of circles and having those types of life experiences, I have seen, and, and I don't know if this connects with you people or your church experiences or involvement, but I have seen how those same settings, those same types of ideologies can, in fact, take away people's joy. And usually why that happens is that there's this thing that that is referred to as legalism, that we start to add rule upon rule upon rule upon rule to this thing called Christianity, and, and this happens especially in more conservative circles, and all of a sudden what is, is so good and so joy-producing and inducing uh, becomes something of, of a burden. It becomes a burden, and I think that probably some of you Maybe even as you show up this morning, but in your lives at some point, you've, you've felt that, right? Like Christianity, maybe at the beginning or maybe never, but, but at some point you might have thought of it as this thing that brought life and excitement and, and forgiveness and peace and joy. And then, and, then, and then at some other point in life, after a while, all of a sudden it was this this burden, this thing that you had to do, this checklist of rules that you needed to take care of, this, these hoops that you had to, that you had to jump through, you know, and you, you felt like, like, where's the joy in this? This is just something that I have to do in order to, you know, please people around me or, or satisfy my guilt or, you know, whatever it might be. And it's interesting that, that so much of, how we view Christianity and how people on the outside view Christians is kind of centered around, around this whole idea of just following this, this set of, of rules. Uh, and that's especially fascinating to me because 
Jesus, who this entire thing is built upon, Christianity is built upon Jesus. It's, it's built on what he did when he died for our sins. It's built upon his resurrection. It's built upon his teachings. It's built upon us trying to worship him and please him with our lives. It's built upon us, as Brandon just led you to pray for, serving him because of him and we love him. And so we go out into the community and we serve him in those ways. It's all built on him. And Jesus, when he walked around on earth, had his biggest confrontations, his most contentious moments with people who added rule upon rule to people's lives and rule upon rule that they said would would help you be in a better relationship with God or would allow for you to be in a relationship with God at all. Uh, This group, one of the main groups that Jesus had his problems with was called the Pharisees. And these guys, they were devout, they feared God, or at least they appeared to fear God on the outside. They knew all of the words that God had written down, but they famously added rule upon rule upon rule to the things that God had said. And over time, I mean, it was just this incredible burden. And Jesus fought against that and refused to follow their man-made rules. And and they didn't like him because of it. And Jesus even said, like, my burden is easy, right? Like, I'm here to relieve some of these rules. But then a couple thousand years later, a lot of people, when they think of Christianity, only think... Like, oh, Christians have to do a bunch of stuff that I don't have to do. They have to follow a bunch of rules that I don't have to follow. I said last week, and I'm going to say it again, I think it's important, but I just don't think worldwide, especially in America, that Christians are known for their joy. They're, they're known as Republicans who have this set of rules, these cultural, Christian culture rules that they need to kind of follow and adhere to. And if they don't, then they're, you know, they think they're bad and they think people are bad that don't. And, you know, and that's, that's kind of how, how we're known. And, and the sad part is, culturally, that doesn't make us very attractive to the outside world, right? I mean, who wants more rules in their life? But... Even more, what's sad about that is that it takes away people's joy. This whole, this whole series, right, has been about how we can have joy. And last week we, we saw a passage in Philippians where Paul kind of summarized where, where that joy uh, can come. Well, he will here again, but like it comes in the Lord, right? It's through the gospel. It's through believing that Jesus died and rose again. It's in relationship to him. We, we have our joy in that, but so many people experience Christianity in a way that doesn't bring any joy at all. It just brings rules. And what that leads to is very unhappy, unjoyful, unloving, uncaring Christians. Or, and and maybe this is you at a time in your life, maybe it's your first Sunday back in a church because you've felt this and this isn't what you wanted and so you've given it up and now you've shown up here this morning, you showed up on the right Sunday. But what happens to a lot of people is eventually they're just so tired of following the rules that people have put into place that they just they just quit. They just give up Christianity altogether. There's like this very exaggerated um, example of this. Uh, I listened to a TED Talk recently by Megan Phelps Roper. You might recognize the name Phelps because her, uh, her grandfather was the founder of Westboro Baptist, who are most famous for picketing things and for 
declaring that God hates homosexuals just in far uh, more graphic language than that. And so this girl, uh, through Twitter, began to see that there was a life apart from these rules that were in place, these rules that had been passed down from her grandpa and this, this I'm going to put this in quotes, this church, it's really just one family of, of very angry people, but, uh, but these rules that have been passed down, and so on Twitter, she kind of found like, oh, like there's people out there that don't need to follow these rules, or her now husband started to talk to her and say, do you really believe these things? And, and, and here's what happened to her, she just gave up Christianity altogether, she had never experienced joy in it. She had never experienced anything really that good from it. And so she just gave it up altogether. I mean, here's, here's what she said in something pretty recent. Jesus had some lovely ideas, but also others that aren't so helpful. Helpful. I don't reject the good because of the bad or accept the bad because of the good, but she has, in fact. So it's funny she said that because that's exactly what she's done. She's rejected the good with the bad, and the bad was mainly for her a set of rules that God that God never gave that God never put into place and you would think like growing up as a modern American Christian that that the Bible wouldn't have anything to say about these rules because it's so ingrained in our Christian culture like man-made rules are just a part of Christianity I mean uh, you know many people alive here today my grandma being one of them like they couldn't dance or go bowling or anything like that because to do so was to affect your relationship with Jesus and so we're, we're not very far removed from this very deep-seated ideas that you need to follow these man-made rules in order to have a good, right relationship with God. And it just feels like, this is the sad reality, it just feels like Christianity, right? And to deviate from these ideas is to, is to get a little, like maybe you're just moving away from Jesus altogether. But Paul, who wrote this book of Philippians that we're looking at that talks so much about joy, he spent much of his much of his ministry combating the idea, and we'll talk about what those ideas were in a second specifically, but combating the idea that people needed to follow rules that God had never given them. The entire book of Galatians almost is driven by this idea where Paul is saying, wait a minute, like you, you don't need to follow these rules that God has not given you to have a, a relationship with God. And in Philippians, it's so interesting, like right kind of in the middle of it, he just has this pause moment, and this is what we're going to look at today, where, where he just feels a need, and this book that's just so wrapped up in, driven by, focused on joy, he just pauses in the middle of it and says, here's something that will take away from your joy, let me explain it, it's rules that people have given that God has not, and, and here's what Philippians 3.1 says, this is how it begins. Further, my brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord. It is no trouble for me to write the same things to you again. It is a safeguard for you. Uh, this just picks up in Philippians 2.17 and 18, which we've already looked at, which just says rejoice. And, and Paul is all about this idea of, of joying. It's, a, it's the verb form of the word joy. He's all about joying, like rejoicing. He wants people, it's part of the whole Christian deal that we rejoice. And we're going to look at in our next passage, like it's like a command. Like this is, this is not some idea that we can go, well, I hope I have joy. This is like something Paul's saying, 
This is something you do as a Christian. You, you celebrate. You have joy. You have joy in the Lord. And so Paul returns to this idea here, kind of out of nowhere in chapter 3, verse 1. It says, hey, again, I just want you guys to remember, rejoice. And then this is this great summary, in the Lord. And everything we've seen so far, if you haven't been here, if it's your first time and you haven't been tracking with this series, like go back, this is the fifth sermon in the series, go back and listen to those, but, but they all can be summarized. Every sermon and every passage we've looked at can all be summarized by just this little short phrase, in the Lord. What Paul has so emphatically declared in a handful of different ways is that if you want joy, it's not going to be found in your circumstances. It's not going to be found in, in what you have or you don't have. It's going to be found in the gospel of Jesus. It's going to be found in the things that Jesus has provided to us by dying and rising again. The story that we believe as Christians is that we are all sinners. We have all done wrong things. We have all been disobedient to God. God looked down from heaven. He said, I need to do something about that because they're enslaved to sin and death. And so he came down in the person of Jesus. He lived sinlessly, perfectly obedient to the Father. He died a brutal, horrific death on a cross. He paid the price of hell for us. And then after he had died, he got out of the grave on the third day, conquering the death that we were all facing. And if we place our faith in him, then we get all of the benefits which include forgiveness and peace and love and hope and, and relationships that are deeper and more fulfilling and, and just so many things. And, and Paul has showed us like joy is, is found in, in this relationship to Jesus and he summarizes it with this little phrase in the Lord and, and this phrase in the Lord doesn't just mean all of the stuff that you get from a relationship with Jesus, it actually more points to the relationship with Jesus itself. Now, let me just pause. The benefits are really easy. If you're not a Christian, like, like I can tell you about the benefits. I, I would feel horrible guilt for some of the things that I've done, but I don't because I believe Jesus paid the price. I would be scared to death to die if I wasn't a Christian, but I'm not. I would be depressed when my Christian loved ones died and I'm not because I believe they're in heaven. I, I mean, I would, I would be just a, a terrible, awful husband if it wasn't for Jesus. Like, it's just not natural for me to be a good husband. But Jesus gives us a fighting chance. We're almost 10 years in, and, and it seems like we're going we're gonna to go a lot longer. So um, I think my wife would tell you the same, I hope. Um, these things are easy to, to like just describe, right? Like if you're not a Christian, like you can get those. You want to not feel guilty about things and you want to look forward to something after you die and, and all that. But it's kind of hard to describe how great it is to have a relationship with the God of the universe. Just the nature of that. It's, it's something that if you're a Christian, you get it, right? Like like you've had moments where just you're expressing love to Jesus and you feel his love back. You've had moments where you feel like the whole world is, is, is raining down on you, but, but you, you know that God is upholding you with his hand and, and you, can sense, you can sense it. You can just feel it. And, and there's this intimacy with Jesus that, that, you know, if any honest Christian is going to say they don't feel all the time, but there's times when you do feel it. And so if you're not a Christian, like, I, it's kind of hard to explain that to you. Like, I, it's, I don't really know how to put that into words. But if you are a Christian, what Paul is saying is that joy is not only found in what Jesus gives you 
all that stuff he offers you, it's actually found in, in your relationship with him. I love, I think we sang this last week and I alluded to it in my sermon, that uh, David, as he writes the Psalms, this book of, of prayers and songs to God, and he, he writes in it, better is one day in your courts than a thousand elsewhere. And, and I just, for me, that's a powerful line because having experienced intimacy with God, better is one day than a thousand elsewhere. It's, it's the greatest moments in my life is where I really, I can just sense that, that Jesus and I are communing in a, in a deeper way than, than I get to most of the time. And, and, and so what, what we need to understand from this passage is that joy is found in all the benefits that Jesus has given us through his death and resurrection. That's great. But a lot of you just, even Christians, we just want to focus on the benefits. But Paul here is saying even more, yeah, the benefits are great. He's made that clear. But joy is found in the, the relationship that we have with Jesus. And we, as a byproduct of that, right, should be focused on developing that relationship, not just being happy about all the things that it, that it gives you. Consider for a minute, any human relationship, if, if you just go into a relationship or work on a relationship by only thinking about all the benefits that the other person gives you, then it takes away from the relationship, does it not? You don't experience as much joy in the relationship. You might, you know, have somebody to, to Brandon's sitting in the front row, to borrow their truck. I used to borrow truck, Brandon's truck all the time, but he got rid of it probably because of me. Um, and, and, you know, like borrow their truck or have somebody to lend you money. Like if that's your entirety of, a, of any human relationship, what you, what you gain from it, then you don't really have all the goodness of that relationship, Right? And if you want joy, then you need to not only think about all the stuff Jesus does for you, but you need to work on developing the relationship that you have with Jesus, which means you, you do have to communicate with him through reading the Bible and praying. And, you know, if you've been around, you know, I'm really big on not just singing while you're at church, but singing to God when you're alone in a room somewhere with Chris Tomlin on, that's my pick, it doesn't have to be yours, you know, like, th those are important things, I think it's, it's trying to think about Jesus throughout the day, and not just when you're sitting at home and having your devotional or quiet time, but making him a part of your life, these are, these are, these are things that develop, not just you're thinking about the benefits of Jesus, but your actual relationship with Jesus. And if you want deep, true joy that transcends circumstances, then you must be a person who says, like, I just, as Paul says it elsewhere, I want to know Jesus and be known by Jesus. And so Paul says, look, look, again, rejoice and do it in your relationship with Jesus. And then he says this weird thing, like, it's no trouble for me to write this to you again. And, and really what he's saying is like, it doesn't bother me to have to say the same stuff to you, but it's really for your benefit. And that probably doesn't point to rejoicing in the Lord. It probably points out, uh, points to what Paul says next, although it might point to both. And, and so you're not going to see this coming uh, again. And there's a couple of these. We said this last week. Like Paul just, you just would never expect this if you didn't know what was next. In Philippians 3, 2, he says this. Watch out for those dogs, those evildoers, those mutilators of the flesh. That's what I always think of when I think about rejoicing in the Lord, right? Like, that's usually my next sentence. Like, wow, rejoice in the Lord. Watch out for the dogs and the evildoers and the mutilators of your flesh. 
You didn't even know the phrase mutilators of flesh was in the Bible, did you? Just got a little more interesting. And this, is, this is Paul uh, being really emphatic about something that's really important to him. And he's telling them to watch out or beware. And he actually says that in front of all these titles. That doesn't come out in the NIV translation. But it's more like watch out for the dogs, watch out for the evildoers, watch out for those mutilators of the flesh. It's a threefold warning that you need to beware of this group. And it's a group that he gives three really harsh, uh, semi-graphic, Frankly, kind of mean, and it's not mean unintentionally, it's mean on purpose, because these, we'll see in a second, I'll talk about these people are hurting people's relationship with God, but he gives these three titles to this one group, and, and the group is this group called uh, the Judaizers, and the Judaizers were a religious group of uh, at least professing Christians, they would have called themselves Christians, they were Jewish Christians, but they were different from Paul, who was also a Jewish Christian, and that they were teaching and they believed that in order for somebody to be a good, real, true Christian, then they had to follow the laws and the rules of Jewish people, all of the Jewish customs. Now, consider this. Paul is spreading Christianity to Gentiles, non-Jewish people, right? And so he's going out into the Roman world, the known Roman world, right? And, and he's saying, look, become a Christian, accept Jesus, accept Jesus, accept Jesus. And then he would lead people to Jesus. They would say, oh, I will. I believe that. I want my sins forgiven. I want all those benefits. I will become a Christian. And the Judaizers would pop in after him and say, hey, what Paul didn't tell you is if that you really want to be in a good relationship with Jesus, You also have to dress like us and eat like us and think like us and be like us and follow the rules that we follow. Now, there's probably varying degrees of these Judaizers. Like some are probably, it's just like any legalism that I've already talked about, right? Like some legalists will say, in order to actually have a relationship with God, you must follow these rules that we have chosen to put into place for you. And other people would say, in order to have a good relationship with God, you must follow these rules that we have put into place. Now look, let's be super clear. The Jewish people had a set of rules that God had put into place for them, and they were required to follow those rules. But God had not given those rules to Gentiles, to non-Jewish people. He had only given them to The Jewish people, the Israelite nation, they were their rules. And so these Judaizers are coming in and they're saying, you have to follow rules that God never gave you. And Paul, I mean, the language, it's pretty, it's really harsh. Like, I'm hesitant to tell you because it's been such a joyful experience going through Philippians. And I mean, this first word, dogs, like, this is sad. I've never been a big fan of Greco-Roman culture. Just everything I know about it seems pretty... uh, abhorrent and evil and awful but uh but they didn't like dogs this just took them right over the top like you're terrible right like you how, you, how do you not like dogs they didn't like dogs they saw them as kind of disgusting dirty creatures and jewish people actually saw dogs as unclean like spiritually unclean because they ate garbage or trash or whatever people again like i I've always liked Jewish culture, but come on, give your dog some good stuff, right? Like, I'm a dog person, but they would feed them the trash and stuff, and so they were unclean, and this is what happened. Over time, 
Jewish people started to call people who were spiritually, ritualistically unclean dogs. Became like this mean term. And then it became a racist term for everybody that wasn't Jewish. Like, if you're not Jewish, you're not clean, and therefore, you're a dog. Uh, And so, this term is pretty volatile. And you can see, this is really fascinating, right? Non-Jewish people were seen as dogs, and now, what is he doing here? He's looking at these Jewish people who are saying, you have to look like us or you're dogs, and he's saying, this is a little bit first grade feeling, but you're the dogs, right? Like you're, you're the dogs. It's quite clear language. And, and he does this with all of these titles. Evildoers is a phrase that more literally means workers of iniquity. And these people were probably Judaizing missionaries traveling around seeing you to look like us and think like us and be like us. They think they're doing something that's righteous and holy and for God. And he says, you're the ones who are doing the work of iniquity, who are doing sinful, evil work. It's pretty harsh, right? And man, and, and can you imagine walking up to somebody that's very legalistic in our culture today that says, you know, you can't have piercings or tattoos and you need to read the King James Bible and all of these things. And if you don't do that, then you may not be a Christian or at least you're not, you know, a, a good Christian. Like you're not in a real relationship with God and saying, you think you're so righteous, but you're the evil ones. It's not going to go very well, I can just tell you. Um, but, but come on, the language is harsh. And then the last one is probably the harshest. It's definitely the most graphic, and it teaches us what the exact issue is. He calls them mutilators of the flesh, which shows us that, that what he specifically has in mind is circumcision. These people are saying, if you're not circumcised, then you're not really a part of the family of God. Now, mutilator, by the way, interestingly enough, was a term in the Old Testament. If you look at the Greek version of the Old Testament, which is called the Septuagint, it's a word for what the the people who worshipped false fake gods would do because they'd cut themselves or they'd have all these ceremonies that, that, where they'd mutilate their flesh in order to please their gods. And you can see how this would really bother a Judaizer for, for them to get connected to these fake, false, evil things that they hate so much and they really look at the Gentiles and say, you're the ones coming out of this, this evil, heinous background. You need to be like us. And Paul says, you people are the mutilators of the flesh. Now, look, I said it's not unintentionally mean language. I mean, it's very intentional. And, and here's, here's, here's the problem for Paul. Paul is, is seeing that what these people are doing is adding a plus system to grace. What they're doing is saying God's grace is awesome. What Jesus did for you by dying and rising again is incredible, but it's not quite quite enough you need to be and look and feel and think like us that'll get you over the hump as far as being a part of the family of God in Galatians 5 2 through 6 he says mark my words I Paul tell you that if you let yourselves be circumcised Christ will be of no value to you at all again I declare to every man who lets himself be circumcised that he is obligated to obey the whole law you are trying to be notice this justified by the law Having been alienated from Christ, you have fallen away from grace. For through the Spirit we eagerly await by faith the righteousness for which we hope for. For in Christ Jesus, neither circumcision nor uncircumcision has any value. The only thing that counts 
is faith expressing itself through love. Paul cannot stand the idea of somebody coming along and saying, wow, Jesus is great. He did everything. He sacrificed hell for you in order to give you an opportunity to enter into a relationship with him. All you have to do is place your faith in him. Oh, and... See, it's the oh and of grace that drives Paul nuts. It's the oh and of grace that makes Paul so angry that he's willing to to say these things that are harsh because he needs people to understand that it's wrong. Anybody that tells you you can have a great relationship with Jesus through his incredibly, ridiculously amazing grace and doing this other thing that we think you need to do is lying to you. And what they're doing is they're diminishing the importance of Jesus and his grace. Uh, Paul wants you to know, connected, by the way, to joy here, is, is that you can have joy, you should have joy. But one of the things that will prevent it, and by the way, he says that phrase, rejoice in the Lord, three times in the book of Philippians, and every time it's within the context of things that will tear at your joy. He says, rejoice in the Lord, and here's one thing that will, that will stand in the way of it, is if you add a plus system to grace, you need the grace of Jesus and. Anybody that adds any rules to what God has declared is pushing towards tearing at your joy. And I, I know, like, I mean, I said I'd grown up in this, this Christian culture, this very conservative Christian culture, and, and I'm very thankful for that. That's a good thing for me. I, don't, I, I'm, I wouldn't have had it any other way. Uh, and I'll talk about the other side of this in just a second. But, but I, can, I can see how difficult it is for people to... I had a family that, that was great about saying, like, we love Jesus, we're conservative, but, like, we love Jesus, you know? Like, it's not about our rules. But I see, I've been around a lot of people who come from that background of you just, you accept Jesus, and if you do all this stuff, then you're going to have a great relationship with him. And it's really deep-seated in them. And even when they, they come to believe something different, it's still there and it still attacks their joy. And every time they forget about or don't follow one of the man-made rules, the joy in their lives is diminished. The joy that Jesus offers is just decreases listen this is really important following a bunch of man-made rules to strengthen our relationship with God can help us be accepted by people around us but it can prevent us having joy in the Lord because here's here's the thing about these people this is a good question you may not have thought to ask it why would anybody like sign up for that right there's very clear teaching it's through faith alone like why would anybody go I'll get circumcised. Yeah, good plan. Like That sounds great. Well, here's the deal. In, in the Roman culture, Jewish people had this exemption as far as not having to worship false gods. And Christians, there was this, this kind of debate within culture about whether Christians fell un, in that category. And it was seemingly more and more becoming the case that they weren't. And so to not be Jewish and to not follow worship Caesar is God and a a plurality of other gods was to basically get yourself persecuted. So you can see that to think and act 
and be like a Jew would be advantageous because all of a sudden the culture around you is a little more accepting of your lifestyle and you're kind of exempt from some of that persecution, some of that anger. But I'm telling you, following man-made rules may help you be accepted by others. It's going to. It will. I've seen it up close and personal. It will diminish the joy that you have in Christ. Philippians 3.3, last verse in our passage, says this. For it is we who are the circumcision, we who serve God by his spirit, who boast in Christ Jesus and who put no confidence in the flesh. It's a big deal. Because where we go and where so many people go, where so many people run to when they have this rule-based system in their lives, is I reject, like the girl from Westboro Baptist, I reject these man-made rules. It's a good thing. I reject everything that God has ever said. This seems to be the, the pendulum, right? It just swings. Like people go, I can't take it anymore. I can't handle this burden. There's no joy here. Maybe I'll find joy by going all the way to the other side and just throwing out rules all together. This, this word here for serve, um, serve God by his spirit, it's kind of another shot. I mean, Paul says we are the circumcision. It's a circumcision of the heart, he says elsewhere. We are the ones who have a true relationship with God is, is what Paul's saying. We are really the people of God. But he uses this word serve, and it's the word for temple service in the Old Testament. And temple service was something that a non-Jewish person, person could not have done at all. Jewish people weren't allowed in certain parts of the temple even. And so he says, look, we, we are the circumcision. And we are the ones now who serve God by the Spirit. We believe as Christians that when we become Christians, the Holy Spirit comes into our lives. He leads us, he guides us, he comforts us, he, he gives us wisdom, he, uh, he inspires us, he pushes us on, he helps us to do the work of God, he gifts us, all these things. And what Paul is saying here is, is look, the man-made rules will tear at your joy, but where joy is found is serving God through his spirit. It doesn't mean that we reject God. We don't go, I hate these rules. They're a heavy burden. I'm going over to this side. I'm not gonna do anything that God wants me to do at all. What we say is, these rules, these are man-made rules, but I'm gonna, I'm gonna do my best to serve God by his spirit. And, and his spirit gave us the Bible. And, and I'll tell you, like a lot of the things that you think are really important to Christianity are not in the Bible. But if it's in the Bible, and I said this last week, then it's there because God wants your best for you. He puts the rules that he puts in place because they will increase your joy, not decrease your joy. The man-made rules must be rejected if we want joy, but we, we must continue to serve God by his Spirit. Uh, I think it's uh, really important that we understand this, and uh, I think the best way to explain it is is through Elsa, actually. Um, and uh, I, you know, I already had Moana on stage my once, and uh, Disney 
Disney doesn't know this, I don't think, but Disney just steals all the themes of scripture and then puts them into their movies and sells them to you. And I'm fairly convinced at this point, because we listen to these songs over and over and over and over, and I'm a Christian pastor, and so it's really hard, whether I want to or not, not to theologically analyze every single line in these Disney movies now, because when you've heard them a thousand times, it's like, well, what does that word mean, you know? I mean, what are they really saying there? And, and, and maybe you haven't picked up on this, but but I really do, I really do think that, uh, that it's really deeply seated in, in truths of the gospel, the story of Elsa. And, and where I see that most is in, is in really two things. Um, it's in two things. And, and it's first in the song, Let It Go. And I'm not sure how, I mean, you've heard it, you've probably sang it. Um, uh, but I don't know if you've ever paid attention to, to the lyrics, but... This is, I mean, it's a story. Let it go is a story. I think this is why kids so deeply connect with it. I've analyzed that a lot before I even had kids. Why do five-year-olds sing this song like it's a worship song, you know? And, and I think it's this, because it's a song about breaking free from the rules that have been given to you, man-made rules. That's what the song is about. I mean, here's what Elsa says. It's funny how some distance makes everything seem small and the fears that once controlled me can't get to me at all. It's time to see what I can do to test the limits and break through. Notice this. No right, no wrong, no rules for me, I'm free. Here's a girl on this side. The parents said, here's what you're gonna do with that little special frozy stuff you got going on. Made up that word. Uh, here's what you're gonna do. You're gonna conceal it and you're gonna fight it and you're gonna hold it down and you're gonna suppress it. It's a man-made rule. You will be like everybody else in society well put together because you're a princess and this is the way you're supposed to act and we can't let anybody know that you have this special talent. You just need to be like everybody else. You know, just fit in in society and she can't take the burden anymore. She can't even build a snowman anymore for crying out loud. And so she, she says, here's the solution. I'm going to reject it all. I'm going to go out and make a bunch of ice castles and stuff. I will do whatever I want, and then I'll be free. Let it go, let it go. I am one with the wind and sky. Let it go, let it go. You'll never see me cry. Here I stand and here I stay. Let the storm rage on. Isn't it a rejection of the rules that her parents had given her? The advice is some little trolley things? That's not the gospel part, but you got me, right? It's like I can't take the burden of these rules anymore, so let's, let's get rid of it altogether. I don't know why she has blue feet, by the way, if you were wondering, because I've been asked about that. And then, and this is the most underrated song, I think it's called Elsa and Anna's duet, uh, I had trouble finding it, I don't know if that's the technical title, but it's the scene where Anna, she gets out there with the help of her friends, and she gets out, and she's in the frozen ice castle, and they're having this conversation, and they're kind of singing, and they're kind of talking, do you know that song, maybe you do, and it kind of builds to this climax, where she's like, I'm free, it doesn't matter anymore, everything is good now, because I don't have to obey those rules anymore, and then, and then, Anna says, nope, there's an eternal winner. I get the feeling you don't know, yada, yada, yada. And then they're like kind of singing over the top of each other. And, and here's, you've never paid attention to this part. I know you know the lyrics, let it go, let it go. But you've probably never paid attention to this part. As her and her sister are having this conversation, she says, I'm such a fool, I can't be free. No escape from the storm inside me. I can't control the, the curse. There's so much fear. 
I don't know if you've come here today like that, but that's what happens, right? I reject the man-made rules. I think that, that just letting it all go will, will lead me to the, the joy that I really deeply want. But what, we, what every person has come to discover is that throwing away all of God because you don't like the man-made stuff eventually leads to no joy at all. It's a joyless existence because we can't control the curse of sin. There's a reason that God has put into place certain parameters for us to live by because if we don't, then our lives suck. I don't know one person that just totally rejects the things of God and feels really good about their lives. I don't know a person like that. And then Elsa comes down the mountain, right? And then her sister, who becomes the Jesus character in the story, Anna, who I really like anyway, she, she dies, right? She sacrifices herself. And the love softens Elsa. And it moves where she just has all these man-made rules to a life that is driven by love. And then, just if you didn't know, but they made a Christmas special. And Elsa, who's the worst Disney princess in the, he- in the history of all Disney princesses, there's nothing likable about her in the movie Frozen. Not a single thing. It's like, I hope she dies. I never said that. But, like, um, just stay out there in your ice castle, you know. Uh, she's like a really joyful person. She's like really happy and fun and nice i'm thankful she didn't die in her ice castle and it's an incredible story of of how sacrifice and love changes our hearts and it doesn't it takes us away from needing to follow the man-made rules but it also draws us back from just totally rejecting any semblance of good right i'll do whatever i want and who cares about anybody else or anything and that's the story of of Christian joy. We don't have to follow these man-made rules, but when we understand the sacrifice and the love that Jesus has, that he made and has for us, and when the Holy Spirit, the Spirit of God enters into us, we serve God by his Spirit, and then we have real joy. We are saved through faith. I mean, Paul says it just after this. He he says, look, I used to be great at following the rules, but none of it was that good for me. He says in Philippians 3, 7 through 9, but whatever were gains to me, I now consider loss for the sake of Christ. What is more, I consider everything a loss because of, of the surpassing worth of knowing Christ Jesus, my Lord, for whose sake I have lost all things. I consider them garbage that I may gain Christ and be found in him, not having a righteousness of my own that comes from the law but that which is through faith in Christ, the righteousness that comes from God on the basis of faith. He uses this word flesh, and this word flesh is, is a word that, that is used for evil things a lot of times in the Bible. It's like all this stuff, like when we reject the rules of God, we, we live for the flesh, we just live for what feels good and what we can accomplish and making ourselves feel good. But here he uses that same word in a, in a slightly different way. And it's, it's everything that we kind of put our confidence in that isn't the grace of God. And in both of those things we see like, man, your man-made rules will never bring you joy. But your rejection of godly rules will never bring you joy. The only thing that's going to bring you joy is being in 
Christ. Developing and growing your relationship with him, serving him through the Holy Spirit. What Paul is saying here is that joy, it isn't about what we can do, it's about what God has done and our response to that. Joy is not found in what we can do, it is found in what God has done. One author said this, joy is not based on my ability nor desire in a moment. Oh no, I'm sorry, this, isn't, this is not an author, this is, sorry, let me rewind. Somebody in our church sent me an email after uh, two sermons ago, I think, and, and uh, this person um, has had some health problems, not able to serve God in the way that they wanted to serve God, ways that we would encourage this person to serve God, and they are now, but they had gone through some health things, and so they, they wrote this email, and, and the point of the email was, I haven't been able to do the things that I want to do for God, that I feel good in doing for God, all that stuff, but, the, but then this, joy is not based on my ability nor desire in a moment to share, she means share Jesus with others, because sometimes life can steal that away for a time, but I can be steadfast because God remains the same and our hearts need to worship him. Do you see that? It's like even in the moments where you can't do what you want to do for God, it's okay because our relationship with God stands firm. True joy is not found when we receive, it is found when we receive grace through faith and have a deep spirit desire to serve God. It's not found in a list of achievements that we can accomplish. And so what I want to leave you with just one more time, I've said it a couple of times now, but it's simply this. Joy isn't found in what we can do. Whether it's, that means doing whatever we want or whether it means following man-made rules. Joy is not found in what we can do, but in response to what Jesus has done. Let me pray that you'll know that joy. Lord, I just, I just ask that, that we would be people who... First, God, we'd be a church that doesn't pile man-made rules upon people. But I also pray, God, that we would be a church that, that always wants to be obedient to you because I just, I know, I've seen it so many times that joy can't be found, God, if we're not serving you through the Spirit. And joy cannot be found, God, if, we, if we're totally rejecting what you've, you've called us to do. And joy can't be found, God, if we're, if we're just trying to... Fulfill the expectations of our parents or the people that we've gone to church with or some guy that we listen to on TV, God, I don't know. And so I pray, God, for every single person here, people who will listen to this sermon online, and I ask, God, that you would help them to realize, to understand, uh, to truly believe in their heart of hearts, that joy will not be found in what they can do, but it will only be found in a response to what you have done. Lord, I know, I just, I, I think, because I just have grown up with a family that, that allowed me to see that with good balance, God, and I'm thankful for that. It's one of the reasons I'm a joyful person, and I want that for, for others, God, and I know, I know, God, that there's a lot of people in our church who do struggle with, with a lot of guilt, and uh, we have a lot of people here that that just kind of have guilty consciences, consciences, God, uh, apart from you and not because of you. And I pray that you'd alleviate that, God. And I, I just pray, God, for those who think that they'll, 
that just being disobedient to you will really bring them joy, that they could do whatever they want. I pray, God, that, and I know that they're going to realize that's not true sooner or later, and I hope it would be sooner rather than later. And they'd, they'd give their lives to you, God, and they'd live their lives for you. Jesus, if there's anybody here that, that has not accepted you as their Savior, that isn't in Christ, that's not in you, that doesn't have a relationship with you, I pray they'd give their lives to you, Lord. Because there's, there's no real joy apart from it. There's fleeting moments of happiness, but there's no real joy. Lord, let your Holy Spirit move, flow in us, cause a response this morning. Change our lives because of these words that you, that you gave us in the Bible. I ask these things in your name.